It may be an awkward conversation, but it's one of the most important conversations to have. You're listening to Unsweetened and Unfiltered, the podcast, episode 27 of season two. In today's episode, we speak to Aisha Ismail about the lack of sexual education within the Muslim community, the importance of the birds and the beast talk, and how to approach the topic of sexual violence. Hey, it's Danielle and Zaina, and welcome to Unsweetened and Unfiltered, the podcast where we elevate the voices of women by sharing their stories of struggle while also highlighting their success. We wanted to create a space for women to feel like they're not alone in whatever hardship they may be facing. Some conversations may be lighthearted, while others may touch upon taboo topics ranging from mental health to women's bodies and spiritual struggles, and we don't shy away from any of it. But our overall mission is to make every woman realize that she is not alone. We are all in this together, I promise. Our sole purpose is to build relationships, not barriers, between you and the woman who may need you. We're here to provide inspiration and to build courage. Tune in every Wednesday where we'll feature an insightful guest who will help us reach these goals. We laugh, we ugly cry, and we'll probably laugh some more. So plug in your headphones, grab your favorite cup of coffee or shea, and get ready to become a part of this unbreakable sisterhood. You are tuning into season two of Unsweetened and Unfiltered. So I want to share this snap with you, Zaina, but I'm pretty sure you've seen it when I already shared it on my Instagram. But this is what the post said. It said, you're scared to take a four-year course because you're 32, and by the time you're done, you'd be 36. Whether you take the course or not, in four years' time, you'd still be 36. I can't, I've heard this so many times. It's like, oh, it's too late to do this. It's too late to do that. Oh, I'm too old. And it's like, you're getting older anyways. Might as well add that extra notch in your belt. Might as well like take that class, take that risk because no matter what, you're still gonna be that same age in four years. And it's crazy that we convince ourselves that like it's too late to take a chance. And that's the thing. And I'm gonna speak from my perspective. The fact of the matter is, you know, leaving your parents' house and then coming back to your parents' house, we need an episode on that, honestly, just to be honest. Like I love my parents. They're so welcoming. And, you know, not a lot of people have that privilege of having supportive parents who welcome you back and everything like that. The reason why I don't live alone is, again, because I have parents that are <laughs> would never you know I shouldn't speak in plural form I should speak in singular form it's my mom that would totally never be okay with me ever living on my own the fact of the matter is she's one of those Arab moms who does say what will people say yeah. she's just one of those people and you know I've learned to live with that my dad is more open-minded I think I could have easily like nudged him and told him like hey I want to live on my own but besides the point I live with my parents and for the longest time you know going back and living with my parents I wanted to be I wanted to live in their home but still be incognito does that make sense like I didn't want to ruffle any feathers or cause any disturbance because you know when I left they started to kind of you know change up the house like now we have an extra bedroom and we have this and that but then it's like oh knock knock I'm back I'm back back. (laughs) and it's like okay and and the thing is I'm just to put a disclaimer out there my parents were never annoyed of me coming back or felt that i was taking up space or anything like that this was all going on in my head of course so when it comes to certain things like even in my house or certain things i wanted to do i'm like look i wanted literally just something as simple as wanting a tv in my in my bedroom i was like no i'm not gonna do that because if i buy a tv this will signify to my arab mom that i'm staying and i'm not (laughs) going anywhere and i didn't want to do that you know what i mean i wanted to keep my mom's hope alive that i will get married 
But look, five or six years later, I'm still unmarried. You I could have gotten on TV, man. <laughs> I, I hope people are understanding what I'm trying to say when I'm like talking about this. But it goes back to the idea of, you know, there's certain things that we think like, oh, no, I'm past this certain year or date or whatever that I shouldn't venture into this journey or whatever it is or career choice or going back to school because it's too late. I'm too old. And by the time I'm done, I'm going to be even older. But guess what? Like if I had decided to go back to school, because I really, really, you guys, I really want to become a lawyer. It's something that I've never, I don't, I don't think I've ever really said it on Not air. on the podcast, no. Yeah, I've never have. I think it's something that I've always just, you know, kind of were, was really down about it. I've said why I went into accounting, but it's just something that I've always wanted to do was become a lawyer. And I've always looked at it like, nope, it's too late because by now I should have been married. I should have had a family. I should have kids. But oh my god i'm gonna go back to school what what will my mom say yeah i think we we so we're so stuck in the idea of like we have to follow this certain path and by 31 you should be doing this and at 32 you should be doing this but like i think we're, we're starting to break that cycle and we're making it our own path you know what i mean and we're not following this routine that our parents set and their parents set. we're kind of i feel like we're finally breaking those chains I wish right. I could say the same for me. Like, I wish. Like, I don't I know. I feel like you are, though. I feel like you're, like, a good representation of, like, breaking those, those like, rigid thoughts that we have in our head. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel that way with the podcast. Yeah. I feel that, like, here we are. We created a but podcast. But look, like, did you yeah. ever think at, at 31 that you would be, you'd have, again, have a podcast and then, you know, going to therapy? That's not something that you ever imagined because, again... You know, it's not something that we were trained growing up that we have to follow this routine. We have to follow. The, you know what I'm trying to say? I totally agree with you. I, I think I'm being hard on myself. You I think are, I, I, I like, want to like literally like really dive in instead of taking the baby steps. But no, but baby, you need steps baby steps are good. Yeah, yeah we've said that before on the podcast. Baby steps are good. And that's why it's like whoever's listening to this, like we all have struggled with this before where anything that we want to go into, I don't know why we allow our age to stop us. Like it like literally my age has paralyzed me for the longest. And, and the reason being is it's not because of me. Like, I know 31 is not old. Like, I feel young as ever. Yeah. These anti-aging creams are working great for me, <laughs> I think. So it's like, it's more so like not wanting to kind of disappoint anybody in my life. And that, you know, obviously disappoint my parents. Like, my parents want grandkids. They want me to be married. They want all that. But at the same time, it's like, I'm not trying to to jump into anything right now where it's, you know what I mean? It's just, Especially it's, when you're still trying to figure out what yeah. you want and who you are. And I feel like we shouldn't have to do that at 19 years old. You know what I mean? Like we're growing and I think we're ever growing. And as long as you feel comfortable in your skin and comfortable in the position that you're in, then I think it's time to open up for a relationship. But it's you like, can't get yeah. into, you can't like get in with someone new if you're still new to yourself. No, look, there's nothing wrong with being getting to know somebody and all that stuff. But I, I think what what I feel like right now is that I'm finally being in control of my life. And it's like, there's times where it's like, I have to remind myself of that. Like, I, I think a lot of times where I still like move cautiously in my life. And then I realize like, girl you're grown you're yeah. 31 like at what age are you gonna finally like just own up and like t make your own choices and decide what you want to do because at, at what age like, am I gonna wait till I'm 40 or I'm 50 like no that's just yeah. a little too late you know what I mean so it's like I need to finally step into who I truly am and what I truly want and for me yes starting a podcast that's not very conventional it's not something that you just wake up one day and you tell your parents, I'm going to be a podcaster. Yeah. It's amazing. I love it. Obviously, I still have, you know, we both still have our full-time jobs. But yeah, I am making these little breakthroughs and it's nice. And that's why when I seen that snap, it's little things like that that really like, 
just bring ease to my heart and it's a good reminder and it's like yeah like I wish when I said I want to become a lawyer that I actually just did it like because it's like here I am 31 I could have became already a lawyer yeah because the years will pass by but I feel like that need and that want to like accomplish that thing that you really want will always linger and it'll always be there so why don't just take the plunge and do it you said it so perfectly and that's why I hope whoever's listening to this like you feel the same way too where you can finally make your own decisions and not feel guilty I think it's really the guilt that eats me up that it's just like it's hard to make everybody happy and when I say everybody that includes yourself like there's always this compromise you have to make like you know in every choice you make some people are not going to be happy and some people are and it's like are you always going to choose other people's happiness over yours you can't is it really a choice is it really a choice at the end of the day it's not and it's just I I think that last week's episode was so fitting with Shazia because we talked about the fear of letting go of just being proud of who you are and taking ownership of who you are and not being afraid of not checking all those boxes and not staying in the position that you're in just because it feels comfortable and just because like you're afraid of what lies ahead once you do take that step and I feel like that was a good reminder for me to really take action and not be so like rigid in my routine and my everyday life your word is rigid I like yeah. how that's like your word yeah, I, I think of the word rigid because like, I feel like we up. are we are so like stuck sometimes and it's nice to break that it is. It truly is. I'm glad I can have this conversation with you. I hope other people that are listening can are probably nodding their heads and feel yeah, the same way. I feel so. Or need that push. I hope this conversation is that push because I feel like now I'm reevaluating everything. It's just, it's nice to have these affirmations and these motivations and whatnot. But I hope you enjoyed last week's episode. This week's episode, you guys, we do want to give a trigger warning for yes, it. Yes, yes. We might not have dived deep into the topics that we discussed, but we did touch upon some pretty serious stuff. Today's guest is Aisha Ismail from Heart, Heart to Grow. It's an amazing organization based in Chicago. They're all about sexual health education and just helping everybody in our community. And they're faith-based as well, which I absolutely love. And we talk a little bit, we touch on the surface basically of sexual violence. So if you do feel like this is a topic that you will be triggered by or you just don't feel comfortable listening to, we have a ton of other episodes that you may be more comfortable. And we do talk about premarital sex. Again, whatever we talk about does not mean we condone it or we want to normalize it. But just like Aisha said, we can't like, you know, just pretend certain things don't exist just because maybe you're not doing certain things or you don't know anybody else in their lifestyle. We don't know at the end of the day, but Again, these are conversations that need to be had and need to be discussed. But again, it's not something that we're going to be like, yeah, go ahead and do this and exactly, do A, B, and C. Exactly. You know what I mean? So I do want to put that out there. And again, just going back and reaffirming what the mission of this podcast is, is yes, to help women who are struggling, but it's also to talk about these taboo topics and yes. shed light on them and just to have these healthy discussions, you guys. That's all we want to do. Again, I really hope you guys enjoy this conversation. I think also Zane and I wanted to mention how much we produce episodes it's it like when we first started we're like yeah we're gonna do once a week that's what we're gonna do no actually we said bi-weekly and then we (laughs) we said bi-weekly we're so naive (laughs) bi-weekly bi-monthly i don't know what we said you know it feels like every week we are releasing episodes with such incredible women and i want to make sure that we give a hundred percent but with time going by so fast it's kind of like we release an episode and then we're already promoting the next episode and i never want to take that light off the incredible woman that we have on here. I just feel like you're so right. Like the woman that we have on here, a week is not enough to to talk about, you know, the topic that they discussed or to continuously highlight them and their organization that they're a part of or whatever it is that, you know, that they're doing and whatever it is that they discuss. 
I do feel like as soon as we have a guest, all of a sudden it's like we're moving on to the next guest. And it's like, that's not what we want. We're not trying to overproduce. We're trying to showcase incredible stories by incredible women. And we want to make sure that we give them the attention that they deserve. And I just, for the longest, I felt like, yeah, Zane and I, dude, we're like working 24 seven, you guys. There's just like no stop to it. And that's not healthy either on our end. So it's, it's amazing and it's incredible how many pre-recorded episodes that we do have, which I also want to shed light on. Obviously, a lot of these episodes we recorded pre-COVID. Yes. So it's not that our guests do not care about what's going on in today's world right now. It's just we recorded these episodes before 2020 even started, to be yes, honest. Yes, Some did. of these episodes. Yeah. yeah. So the whole purpose of this conversation that Zane and I are having, I think we want to go back to just having two episodes per month. So if you guys do notice like, oh, wait, they skipped a week. No, no, no. It's just more so like, call us. we're just going to have two episodes a month. We want to make sure that we highlight these conversations and highlight these stories and give them the attention that they deserve. In the best way, exactly. In the best way we can. And I think it's hard to do that in a five-day span. You know what I mean? So I feel like those two weeks, we can really just like even more conversations, like building upon the the episode. So inshallah, we can do that. But yeah, we always want to remain as transparent as possible so you guys do know what's going on. I think we're going to, starting next month, inshallah, we'll start doing two episodes a month just so you guys know. I really do hope you guys enjoy this episode. Make sure you guys stick around for the afterthoughts. And I can't repeat myself any more than this, but we truly appreciate every single one of you guys. We appreciate all the reviews that are coming in, all the support, all the reposts, all the comments. Like, alhamdulillah, honestly, like, the only reason why Zane and I are still doing this is because you guys are still around to yeah, support us. Yeah, of course. We could not do this without your support. And just those kind words, like even in our inbox, seeing those messages really give us that push we need to continue doing this. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And like I said, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Are you ready to dive in? Let's do it. Thank you so much, Aisha, for joining us. Before we jump into the whole birds and the bees talk, how about you introduce yourself, we get to know you a little bit better, and the organization that you work for, and then we can really jump into the thick of things. Yeah, awesome. Um, So my name is Aisha, and I am an Arab-American Muslim woman living in Chicago. I was born and raised on um, the southwest side of Chicago, near the Bridgeview area, so there's a large Palestinian community around there, a large Arab community in general. Currently, I work at Heart, and my title there is the Development and Operations Manager. So I do a lot of the -the behind-the-scenes fundraising and building systems to make our work more efficient, but I also have the pleasure of actually delivering our programming which has been a great learning experience for me and just being able to get comfortable talking about these topics. And my educational background, I went to DePaul and got a bachelor's in science. So it's a little bit different in the sense that I was really intending to go into healthcare and work on the clinical side of things. So I've been in the women's justice space for about four or five years now and um, kind of like, yeah, pivoted in my own personal journey um, in my career. And I'm also the co-founder of Venting and Vibing, which is just basically an initiative where we gather women to talk about the challenges they face in the workplace, particularly women of color. Wow. Where is that session held at? Because I would love to join yeah, Venting and Vibing. that's amazing. That's like our thing. We actually hold the in-person gatherings in Chicago since me and um, my co-founder, um, Ashina Robinson, we're both based here, but we're really looking to expand it. We started it last year, so we're looking to expand it virtually this year because we've just 
really noticed there's such a need for women of color to come together and really talk about what we face in the workplace that's kind of unique to our own plight. So yeah, we would love for you guys to join. I know, we're like talking about heart, but this is also awesome. It's an awesome initiative that you're also taking control of. So what made you pursue this career path, one that our community kind of shies away from? And I'm still trying to like get Get comfortable comfortable with it, right, Right. Yeah. I think that my journey with sex ed started earlier in college. I uh, volunteered for this organization called Peer Health Exchange. So they basically go into high schools around Chicago, and they're located in other cities in the nation, and basically deliver different topics on like health in general. So sex education was one of those. So I had the pleasure of like working with high school, you know, youth, basically talking about really uncomfortable topics like drugs <laughs> and STIs. And I think from there, I just realized like, you know, everybody has a different understanding of their bodies and these like really sticky topics that can be really uncomfortable to talk about. And I think that's, you know, across the board, it really, it doesn't matter like what religious background you come from or, you know, what geographic area. I think these conversations need to be had more, like they need to be happening more in all communities. So I worked in the women's justice space coming out of college and really wanted to, and I was in a mainstream organization, so it wasn't Muslim led. And I was developing all these skills and I was really deepening my knowledge on different social justice issues. And I really wanted to apply that back to my community. And really, I was really beginning to think about how can I take these skills that I've learned and all this knowledge that I've gathered and like continue my education in this field really by giving back to our own communities. So I got involved at Iman, which is Inner City Muslim Action Network. I worked on their corner store campaign, so it wasn't related to sexual health education and really loved it and started to find community with Muslims who are in social justice spaces, which is really cool. And then landed on heart randomly when I was going through a job transition on Idealist. So I didn't know about the organization before coming on as a staff member, but it's been wonderful to be in community with other Muslim women who are really passionate about these issues and fantastic to be at an organization that's Muslim-led and led by women of color. I'm so happy to hear when people branch out, they garnish all this knowledge, they gather it up, they, you know, they study and they practice, and then they come back and say, I want to do something for my community. I want to apply what I've learned. It just makes me so happy to hear that. But I want to talk about heart because I think it's so important when we teach our community and our people in our community about their bodies and that they don't have to branch out into these, the unknown dark web to find out things that are about themselves. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's so important. So let's talk about heart and what you guys provide for people who are curious and just want to learn more about themselves. So as I had mentioned, Heart is a Muslim-led organization, and our mission is really to ensure that all Muslims have the resources, language, and choice to nurture sexual health and confront sexual violence. So our name, Heart, actually is an acronym, and it stands for Health Education Advocacy Research and Training. So that's what we basically do. We work on health education, advocacy, research, and training, really to deliver sexual health and um, sexual violence prevention services to Muslim communities with a cultural and faith-based lens. I think it's important that there is that focus on the cultural and faith-based lens because I feel like, like Zaina, you said, there's so many resources out there, but at the same time, as a Muslim woman, I feel like we need something a little bit more specific to the faith that we practice because things are a little bit different than from us and another completely different faith. And I really, really appreciate that. I mean, I remember being in eighth grade, sitting in sex ed, thinking like, I don't want to be here because nothing like 
everything I'm learning, nothing applies to me. Like I'm not going to walk away from this experience having gained the knowledge that I think I need to. And I knew that at eighth grade. You know what I mean? You know why also? Because in other cultures or communities, it's I don't want to say it's okay, but it's like it's not frowned upon if you have sex before marriage. Mm-hmm. Us, that's just no. That's not. That's a no go. It's part of our religion. It's a no go. So that's why sometimes you sit in these lectures and it's like, oh my god, this is haram. I'm plugging your ears <laughs> because we were not even supposed to be even. This is something that we'll talk about in a bit. But it's like when you're a child, you think like I shouldn't even be talking about this because I shouldn't even be having sex before marriage. Exactly. But that's yeah. kind of yeah. wrong. We shouldn't be having that mentality. But I want to talk about like where did it all begin because I feel like when we create these organizations organizations and we create these movements and stuff like that it starts from somewhere and i i think i read somewhere where the founder nadia and a friend of hers which her name is also aisha they basically just held this little event that actually didn't end up being a little event and ended up being a huge event because a lot of muslim women showed up and it was all about just like the health of the body i don't know what was that all about yeah absolutely so nadia worked as a consultant at this agency and basically they asked her to create programming that was specific to Muslim women because as we know in mainstream spaces where they're talking about sexual health and um, sexual violence prevention often this lens this cultural and religious lens has been applied or uplifted um so what did it look like to take care of our bodies whether that was like how to use a pad or tampon things like that where it really started with health education really not even particularly sex ed right what happened from that workshop or training is that she recognized this need in muslim communities people were asking her like oh, how can we get more of this? Like, when's the next one? Things like that. And they've been doing this. She's been building this organization for 10 years. And yeah, and it started from there and kind of blossomed into this organization that looks at comprehensive sexual health education and then um, also sexual violence prevention. I think we forget that like any other community or any other faith, us Muslims also suffer from depression, body image issues, oh my God, yeah. um, sexual <laughs> violence. Guess what? We're not immune to that either. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things that we we kind of like grew up thinking we're immune to, but it always happened. And these things always happen. We've always had body image issues and all this stuff, but we've always kept it hush hush. We never felt like there was a comfortable space in talking about this stuff because I feel like our body was just something it's not, a to- it should never be a topic of discussion. And it's still to this day, I feel kind of that way too. But thankfully when we have these conversations, it's also kind of like a healing mechanism for us too, for us to be able to open up about these things. And what I'm learning is that all that I'm going through mentally, physically, all that stuff, I'm not going through it alone, even though sometimes we're not talking about it out loud. I'm going through the same things you're going through. And it's just that thing of like talking about it and getting it out in the open and creating a safe space where we feel comfortable enough to share our period stories and all of that stuff. So I love what you guys are doing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's like it allows women to learn more about their bodies. And then it also, like you just said, Zaina, it allows us to exchange all this information within Mm -hmm. one another and start normalizing these conversations because guess what? Everybody has a body. That's how we exist. All of us go through the same issues. And then I think when we use the word sex or in anything like sexual health or sexual hey, prevention, so it's so it, but it also kind of extends to just menstruation, our periods, right. our just even being pregnant and dealing with all that stuff. It's not just about having sex when we do have these conversations. And I think that's why we shy away from them and we don't have them as often as we want to, especially in our messages and places like mm-hmm. that or even community events. But you guys had something on your website that kind of like made my jaw drop because I think I'm part of the statistics. It was like you guys did a whole research project um, in collaboration with researchers at the University of Illinois at Chicago. 
Do you want to talk about the results that you guys came across, which is like, oh, my God, you know, we're part of that. Yeah. <laughs> we're part of the people that didn't know this or that or anything like that. Do you want to talk about that, Aisha? We surveyed 730 women ages 18 to 45. And what they found were 35% were misinformed about STI transmission. 46% reported not getting regular pap smears, and which we know uh, screen for cervical cancer. Um, 49% didn't know the most effective form of birth control. And I was someone who fell into that category. I was at this one, I don't know what I was at. It was like a workshop or a training and someone's like, do you know all the different kinds of birth controls? And I was like, what? Like I was familiar with the pill. And then that was like, okay, what other kinds of birth control? Or even thinking of like a condom as birth control, right? Mm-hmm. And then 53% could not ad- identify when ovulation occurs. And of course we know that ovulation doesn't always occur at the same time in every woman's body, um, but there are generalizations. And then there's also ways to be able to tell when you're experiencing it as well. We definitely do not talk about sexually transmitted diseases or infections whatsoever. And again, like this doesn't just happen in haram relationships. It could honestly happen in a marriage. And this is something that we don't even talk about when it comes to STIs and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of scary that we don't. And and if somebody, you could be like a friend of yours that has and you wouldn't even know because that's not something she's comfortable with talking about. No, no. And it's crazy that our community is so marriage focused. And we expect our girls to get married and get themselves into these situations and not prep them with the knowledge that they need to protect themselves. Because our parents were not prepped with it. Yeah. And I think slowly but surely our community is going, they're gearing their way towards that. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's going to take time for us to be able to be really comfortable mm-hmm. in talking about these things. But even like a pap smear, like oh, yeah. I started doing those because it's just, first of all, it takes literally five minutes in your doctor's office. That's all it takes. But I know it's uncomfortable. Like the position your doctor puts you and tells you I'm about to do this you say next time no there is no next time so I remember when I went to my mom's gonna kill me for this but we went for a doctor's visit for her and the doctor's like okay get ready for your pap smear my mom's like no I didn't sign up for that the doctor's like you're gonna do this like you have to do this and I kind of helped my mom and I, I just thought it was so interesting like the different generations like where I got comfortable with this but here I am trying to explain to my mom like just do it this is good for you this is perfect yeah. if you tell your parents this helps you know if you have cancer or not they'll, they'll be down for it because again cancer it's very sad but it's and it's very unfortunate but it's like a rising epidemic so definitely our parents kind of take things a little bit more seriously when you start telling them why they should do the things that they do or that we're telling them to do but like where do we go from here you guys like I, we're, we're talking about this stuff but how can we really implement this implement these conversations introduce heart to our organization other organizations and our masjids and community events like what's heart doing in order for them to insert themselves into these spaces I think when we think about Muslim communities, we often think that they're not having premarital sex. So because it's a common value for Muslims not to have sex before marriage, I think that we aren't confronting the reality that there are tons of Muslims having premarital sex. And if we're not having these conversations about our bodies and our health and allowing people to make informed decisions, that's where, you know, that's where people engage in risky behavior, like not using protection during sex or not using a form of birth control, right? So there was actually a report that surveyed like college age Muslims, and they found that over half of those students who were never married before actually had premarital sex. So I think we also have to confront 
in our communities that this is happening. People are having premarital sex. And even outside of marital relationships, we have to be acknowledging that reality because then we're leaving a whole, I mean, there's a ready shame and stigma around our bodies and sex in within a marriage, right? And when you are doing it in a halal way, quote unquote, but imagine how that shame and stigma is amplified when you're like participating in these things outside of marriage, which on a community level is just a no-no. So I think we have to like really confront the reality that like Muslims are diverse and how we practice Islam is so diverse and um, our relationship to our faith, they're so different, you know, and how we practice that. And I think when we confront that people are just so different in their relationship to Islam and their relationship to God in their practice of it, we can really give a comprehensive sexual health education to our communities that sees those people too and doesn't exclude them or like increase their shame, if that makes sense. That's definitely an uncomfortable truth that we don't talk about too often. But at the same time, if just because you don't see something doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Just because you don't know about something doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Um, I think there are many diverse households out there and there's a lot of people that struggle in their own way with whatever that they're doing. And it's like, yeah, let's just... Let's not add to their shame. And that I, I think I, that's why I like heart because you guys are kind of all encompassing and you do want to make sure that everybody does feel included and does feel seen. But I think your common goal is just to provide all these resources to whoever needs it. Like, here you go. I don't care what you're doing, what it, how you practice your faith or whatever it is, but here's all the information that you need. And that's what we want. That's what you guys are trying to do. Just bridge the gap between the unknown and the known for these people, young or old. Because, yeah, we shouldn't wait to have these conversations when somebody's about to get married or when they're of age to get married so these conversations should start at a much younger age yeah and it's not just about putting a band-aid on something it's preventing things from actually happening before they have the possibility of happening exactly because we're going to talk about sexual violence too like yeah. that's something that can nobody's immune to that either and that's very scary that's a very scary topic to discuss and we are going to talk about it right now because it could happen to anybody it could happen outside of a marriage or even within a marriage so we could sit here all day and be like yeah i don't know about birth control i don't know about this but there's just even graver things that we don't even know about like oh, yeah. you know what I mean I thought my only worry was not knowing which birth control and, and to be honest I went for the birth control that didn't make me break out not knowing like is this still the right one for me you know why because also when it comes to birth control and when it comes to these conversations I think we right away assume the more we have these conversations the more it leads to young kids having sex outside of marriage and I think that's a myth in itself how do you feel about that Zana? oh absolutely I think we're so afraid of like bad happening that we don't talk about it and like you guys said like things are happening whether we talk about it or not whether we shine a light on things or not so might as well prepare people and get them ready for the reality of things before a disaster strikes basically yeah yeah and i think to your point that the our goal is really to deliver this kind of education and these prevention services to all muslims is because we're, when we say we're faith-inspired, we mean just that, right? So we're not here telling people, like, what's haram and what's not haram, and we're not going through, like, Islamic text and, like, justifying anything or saying this is good or this is bad. What we're really saying, Muslims are diverse, their experiences are diverse, and everybody has the right to, to access to information about their bodies that allows them to make empowered and healthy decisions. So yeah, just to go back to your question about what we're doing in you know, Muslim spaces and how we really deliver this education, we do that in a variety of ways. I know we've worked with masjids in the past. Um, we actually re ha recently had a support 
reporter who talked with her messages about um, having pads available for women in their bathroom. And she reached out to us and was like, oh, like, how can I facilitate this or, you know, whatever. And then ended up following up with us and showing us that they had pads in their bathroom. Yeah, I seen it. I don't know, just something like that made my heart it's so happy. It's so simple, but it's something like, why aren't we doing this? Like providing women things they obviously need. You know but what you I mean? you know what? It's not just in our message. It's at my job. I have to pay 25 cents oh, just yeah, in case I forgot about? my tampon or my pad at home. Why do I have to pay for that? That should be available. Yeah. So it's I don't like want this episode machine. for people to think like, oh, it's only our message that are known doing mm-hmm. this. No, this it's is a worldwide board, problem, yeah. just like you said, Aisha, in the beginning. But we want to focus on our community and how we can be kind of the leaders in this. Like, yeah. why not? We're we're capable of being the leaders in this. That's pretty interesting that she shared with you guys that the message had, or her message was doing that. What's really powerful, too, um, and this isn't work we've begun to do, but something I've been thinking a lot about is when you're thinking about making those small changes in the spaces you're in, they often rely on the relationships you've built in those spaces, right? So um, that woman, that person probably had a relationship with her masjid and whoever she talked to that really provided this openness to have that conversation. So I think that it's really interesting to think about the spaces you're in and the spaces you're occupying and like how you can build relationships in those spaces and make them safer for women and more accessible, right? Because you're absolutely right. Like on college campuses, I think I just went into DePaul recently and now they give away free pads and tampons. That definitely wasn't happening while I was there. So these are issues that don't only exist in Muslim communities and we know that. But like I said, there are, there are particular challenges that we face as Muslim women and as Muslim people in receiving access to these services and education. Um, But that's just one of the ways. We also have worked with MSAs on campuses. We often partner with different college campuses to deliver trainings, whether that's like Sexual Violence 101, how to respond to um, survivors of sexual violence, different things like that. But all in all, I think it takes a willingness also from those spaces to like to have someone like our like people in our organization delivering that kind of training and education. I, I think that it really is a partnership between us and the community spaces we're in. And that partnership has to start begin with consent on both ends to really deliver these kinds of services and training. So we've experienced some challenges with certain MS- MSAs or masjids and things like that, um, where they thought we were like way too progressive on certain issues or we are LGBTQ affirming um, in our content. And that has been a challenge for us in the past. So I think, yeah, it's definitely a partnership between us and the community spaces we're in. And hopefully the more we're having these conversations and the more education efforts that are happening, the more open um, the the institutions will be to receiving this kind of training and education. I think it's going to happen, but it's going to happen slowly. I feel like you can't just go up to a, um, you know, a, a sheikh and be like, hey, I want to talk to your kids about sex. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I'm not going to allow that. But it's slowly opening up and slowly getting people used to just being open about this and having those conversations. It starts with the conversations. You're right, Zaina, because I just, what you said, Aisha, sometimes you do have to have a, a relationship developed already with these spaces or these mm-hmm, yeah. community organiz- organizers and stuff like that. And it starts with there. So it starts with us. Like if you're hearing these conversations and you're nodding your head and you're like, yeah, why don't I have this in my masjid or why isn't this available at my school or whatever? Just be the one to start these conversations. Yeah. And the more that people speak up, the better. And I think something that you guys also pride yourself upon is like the fact that 
us being Muslim, it's an Islamic right to seek knowledge. And that that should also extend to our bodies. And I think sometimes we often forget, like these conversations were had in the past and in our prophet's days and stuff like that. So where was the disconnect? Why did we stop having these conversations? When did we start shying away from these conversations? Again, I'm not 100% like an expert on this. There had, you know, maybe somebody else knows why there's a disconnect or what happened. But I think this is why oftentimes the women in our community, the young girls in our community, we forgo, like forego all these doctor checkups and stuff like that because we assume we have to be sexually active to get a pap smear. We have, we find ourselves married and yeah. then we assume. But then, like you said, there's the outliers. There's people that don't, that have had premarital sex and that's, again, to each their own. And that, yeah, they're not well informed about, they're very ill-informed about their bodies. So it's like, I do want to have more conversations about our bodies because, again, when we do, it's not just about sex. I want to talk more about menstruation, about our cycles, about just, again, like I said, the pregnancies and birth control and all this stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Birth control isn't for people that just want to have sex. It, there's a lot of other benefits to oh, it, yeah, too. and we talked about that in previous episodes. Yeah. It helps with period pain. It helps with acne. There's so many things that it can benefit. But, I mean, why is sexual education something that we just kind of pass up on? Like, I hate to admit it to you guys, but, like, our parents and our grandparents, like, we would not be here if it wasn't for that those relationships that they were having. So why are we, like, sweeping these conversations under the rug when they should be had? And obviously, you know, Let's, they're important. Yeah, let's talk about the birds and the bees talk, oh, Aisha, yeah. because I will be honest, I've never, I've been married and divorced, but I've never had this conversation with my mom. Imagine going into a marriage and not having any conversation about your body or anything like that. Zana, did you ever have that conversation? Just like, you know, the basics, like it's going to happen. Basics? Like it's going to happen. That's <laughs> really it. That's what I'm saying. Like, what about you, Aisha? Like, have you ever had this, like, sit down with your parents where they're like, okay, we're going to talk about this right now. You know, I, I don't really remember having that conversation with my mom. Uh, definitely not my dad. You know, he, he gets shy anytime anything about my body comes up. So that's, it's funny. But with my mom, I don't remember either. I actually, I was sharing this with you during a previous conversation. The way that I learned about sex was reading an, a science encyclopedia. And I was way too young. I was just, I was just like, I was like, Oh, my God, like babies are made by a man putting his body in mine. And it was just like such a disgusting concept to me. And I was like, I told my mom, I'm like, I'm never having sex. I'm never getting married. And I was just like, mortified, you know, but that's actually a great point. Because a lot of kids don't know they're not having that conversation with their their parents or anyone so they're going and they're looking for the answers themselves and that can lead them down a very dark road we mentioned that our parents i know this sounds crazy but our parents are the best sexual health educators for their kids like because you have to think about it you come from a certain household like we said every household holds their own values and their Mm -hmm. own you know the way they practice their faith so imagine your kid going and finding this information from somebody else where their values don't align with theirs so it's like there's Mm -hmm. gonna be a huge you know disconnect right there in itself so that's why it's really important to have these conversations with your kids as uncomfortable as they are for both (laughs) parties like nobody wants to sit down with their parents and talk about something that we're not supposed to be doing until we get married so it's like oh my god where do we what do we do from that point you know I think too like it's not just like I mean at least the science encyclopedia is actually giving you access to like anatomical turn and, and like all of those things that like maybe you're not going to get in the media or like watching a movie or you know even when we're thinking about porn I was at this one sex ed talk last month and she's like porn isn't like sexual health education it's entertainment right so there are tons of things that are just like not 
really representative of the way that sexuality is even but it's so accessible right so if we're not having these conversations with our kids and with the people in our lives no matter what age they are I think that it really allows like you said they might seek out that information they might come across it without even seeking it out and that information might not be accurate information right so I think it's really important that we're we're having these conversations and not just so that we're having information about our bodies and um, how to make healthy decisions, which is super important in a large portion of it, but also because we need to be able to erase the stigma and shame around these conversations so that folks feel comfortable really coming to the people they trust in their lives when unhealthy things are coming up in their relationships. And oftentimes, like, that's where the topics of sexual violence and physical abuse can come in. Because if we have so much shame and stigma around talking about sex in our bodies, it could be really hard to disclose then. And that's another barrier to disclosure. And that's why sexual health education and sexual violence are so interconnected, right? We have to break down these barriers like shame and stigma around talking about our bodies and sex so that if something does happen to us or we're in an unhealthy relationship, we can A, identify it, and then also feel comfortable enough to seek the help that we need in whatever form that looks like. I do want to repeat myself when I say talking about sexual health with your children does not promote them to have sex, but it could in the long run prevent sexual violence happening to them so they can be able to distinguish what's right, what's wrong from what's wrong to know what consent truly means. It's not just one party agreeing to something and you assuming Mm -hmm. that you have to just go along with it. And I think when also when we talk about sexual health, it also extends to just talking about puberty. We all go through, we all have all gone through it. And I think as young girls, when we got our first time, like our first menstruation cycle, like that was, it was, I didn't have a conversation with my mom. It was, but it's like, I don't know how to this day, I know how to navigate it, but it's like, we don't have these open conversations with our parents. And I don't know what the, you know, boys or men go through, but they probably don't even have these conversations with their fathers or whatnot. Yeah, and it's not even like the physical changes, it's the mental changes. I mean, puberty puts us through a lot. Like, I remember just feeling so confused and not knowing what was going on. And if you don't have those conversations, you're going to feel shame when your period comes. You're going to feel shame when you start growing hair under your arms. Like, you're going to feel that shame where shame shouldn't be. Yeah, we need to know how to, like, honestly distinguish, like you said, Zaina, shame from just privacy and modesty. And I think the more we have these conversations, the more these kids will feel comfortable with their own bodies and they'll be more aware, self-aware of what's right and wrong and how to protect themselves from any violence that come their way. But these conversations, I know it's easy for us to talk about them, but it's gonna, it's gonna be hard. And I think as parents, we they need to take baby steps and how to conversate with their kids about this. And I want to talk about this. Like, this is something that you said, Aisha, like these conversations should never stop. There's because we're continuously growing. So each time we're going, there should be a new topic introduced and there's a new way to talk about it. Do you want to address that? And like how we should as parents, whoever's listening, how to start this conversation with their kids? Absolutely. And I just want to underscore what you said, like having conversations about sexual health and sexual violence prevention doesn't encourage young people to have sex, right? So there's actually studies and research that backs that, that there's no evidence that about sex and your health and your body actually leads to people having more sex or engaging in it any earlier. And in fact, when research shows that it actually prolongs that choice for a lot of young people. So really having 
open conversations about sex and sexuality and sexual health and all of that allows young people to make really empowered decisions. And I also want to get back to the parents are the best teachers. Research also shows that parents, when they have conversations with their children, it has a lot of influence over their decision making. So it's not just about your, you know, instilling your values and your beliefs, but it's also that like your children really value your opinion, right? And that means we also need to equip ourselves and do our research and make sure that we're equipped to have those conversations with our children. I'm glad that you mentioned that because that's true. It's like, where do parents start the conversation? Well, first it starts with themselves and educating themselves first. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we have two guides people can find on our website. One is just like how parents can have um, the sex talk with their um, children. So that is on our website in our publication section. And then also how parents can begin the conversation about sexual violence at every age level. So at every age interval, like what is the appropriate way to talk about sexual violence and sexual violence prevention with your children? And those two resources are on our um, website if you want to go more in depth in that. But um, one thing I will say is I have a nephew, he's four years old, and we've been thinking just because I'm in this field and um, my sister does a lot of social justice work and research and my mom is aware of these issues as well. And we've been thinking, especially as he's a young boy, you know, how are we really teaching him these concepts about sexual health, sexual violence prevention, all of that at a very young age. And so... We know consent is a huge issue, and of course, it's not the only solution to sexual violence prevention, but the way that we teach him about consent isn't even in regard to sexuality or sex. We So I'll go in and I'll be like, Noah, can I have a bosa, which means kiss in Arabic? And he'll be like, no. And I'm like, okay, can I have a hug? And then he'll be like, no. He really hates to be touched. Oh. And I'm like, okay, fine. Have a high five, and then he'll give me a high five, right? And oh. so it's really him at a young age like you have autonomy over your body and like you get to say like how you want to be touched by someone and how you want to be um shown affection and all of those things which coming from Arab communities might be like really hard to tackle for also the cultural reasons like I remember going back home and visiting my dad's family and the minute I walk through the door everyone's squeezing my cheeks like everyone's yeah. <laughs> cultural thing right and it's like but we have to really evaluate like what how are we communicating to kids even in in situations that are not sexual in nature about their autonomy with their bodies and with their choices. And we communicate that throughout the lifetime and it doesn't always have to do with sex. So I think that's just one example of like an age appropriate way to teach some of these concepts. I didn't have to say like, Noah, like, you know, and talk about consent in terms of sex. And he wouldn't even understand that. He doesn't even, you know, he's not developed in that sense to even taken that information, but it was a way that he understood it. And then hopefully when he goes out into the world, you know, he'll ask people because we've modeled it, but you know, and it's just constant teaching. Like I was once on a train and he was talking to this little girl and he gave her a hug without asking her, right? Uh oh. I'm in this like field and I'm, I was more, I was like, oh my God, like, <laughs> how do I handle it? I've been modeling this for you forever. And when I got off the train, I was just like, okay, Noah, like, we have to ask before we touch people. And then I was like, okay, let's practice it. I'm going to ask you for a hug and you can tell me whether or not you want a hug. So I was like, can I have a hug? And then, you know, he gave me a hug. And then I was like, okay, great. Now I want you to ask me. And so, like, just 
constantly having that ongoing conversation and understanding it's not going to always be perfect. There are going to be moments that are uncomfortable and awkward, but like really just remaining to that commitment of like, I want you to be equipped with the tools and the language and the resources to be able to make healthy decisions for yourself. And then eventually healthy decisions in the relationships you have, whether those are like platonic non-sexual relationships or whether it's with the person that you end up having that kind of relationship with. Um, so yeah, I just think those are a couple of examples of like how we can really start to begin this education with children where it's developmentally appropriate. That is such a powerful example. I honestly want to clap my hands because that, like you said, it's something so simple, like yes and no, asking those questions, but it's so powerful. And I think it will stick with him, inshallah, for like the rest of his life going forward. That's exactly what it means to take baby steps in that way, because I would have never thought, because I have a nephew and he just turned one and it's just like, yeah, like, can you just kiss him and And I do. And it's not good. Like I (laughs) grab his cheeks and I kiss him because you love them so much. And I think sometimes some people are against this because it's like, oh, you're you're creating a barrier between showing affection to somebody. But you got to think in the long term how this is going to really, really help equip this child when, because we often forget that half the time when your kids are getting older, half the time they're not at home. They're in the outside world. They're going to be exposed to so many people, so many things. Like they're not going to always be under your watch. And it's like, how can you prepare them for these moments, these moments where they're alone and they have to make quick thinking decisions right away. I don't even have kids and that scared me. (laughs) It does. It really does. I I think we forget that like we're not. And I think now I understand my parents more. I understand why they were always just so So protective, so protective. They want to shelter us because it is scary because you have to think of yourself as a parent. Here you are at home and your kid is out there yes they may be at school but who knows what might happen at school oh yeah so much what might happen at their jobs or anything like that we don't we don't think of that does heart provide like maybe just how to navigate these conversations with your kids because that's a great way to start it out at the age of four with consent and how to do it slowly because i see those videos online and i love them it's a teacher he or she will be outside their you know their classroom door and then that's how he or she will welcome their kids like they'll ask like do you want a hug or Uh um, a high five it would be one or the other and i love that i love just starting to instill that within even the classrooms because I feel like while we're adults majority of the time is spent at work majority of the time for these kids are spent at school so that's where they really can develop all this knowledge about consent and not consent having control things. over your body like this is what I want this is what I'm choosing and you know if I don't want you to hug me then I'm not gonna let you hug me has heart dabbled in like classrooms like actual public schools and not just MSAs I want to say we've I know that we held like a leadership kind of thing for young girls like a summer institute kind of thing for young girls where we worked with students but I'm not super sure in the history of the organization I know with schools there's just so much red tape like getting into speaking to children it's so hard but it's something that you know I think that our position is really to get these conversations going with parents and then like um, we do it through youth wor- workshops sometimes if there's like a religious institution that has like a youth group like we've been brought in for those purposes but to answer your question, there are those two guides that I were talking about speak specifically to those things of like how to have these conversations. I think it's really important that we're talking to kids about this at 
even sexual violence prevention at all ages, because we know that 44% of sexual assault victims are actually under the age of 18. And we also know um, when it comes to sexual violence that 85% of perpetrators know their victims. It's likely somebody like, and I think it might be higher for child sexual abuse. I'm not 100% sure. But in that case, it's likely happening to, to them by somebody they know. So yeah, in the guide about how to talk to your children about sexual violence in age-appropriate ways, I can just go through some of the things that are ways to talk about kids about sexual violence. For infants and toddlers, like teach them the difference between my body and your body. Um, Use correct terms for body parts. Teach them how to say no and respect their wish when they do, which is that whole idea of going back to consent. And it doesn't have to be in a sexual context, right? In preschool, ages three to five, share the only instances where their body parts can be seen and or touched and explain that no one should physically hurt them, especially in their private parts. Discuss who can see and touch them, such as doctors or dentists. Their mouth is private too, and with a parent present, right? So it's really telling you, giving you this step-by-step guide based on how old they are of like what's the developmentally appropriate conversation to have with them, but also equipping them with the tools and knowledge and language they need to, God forbid something happens, that they can disclose it to you. And you're building that relationship with them so they know that they can come to you. And also sometimes I know that a barrier for people not reporting is not even knowing they're being abused. So it's that much more critical that we are talking to children about this and then having these conversations through the lifespan, right? all the way through adulthood and beyond about what abuse looks like and what sexual violence looks like and what's inappropriate and all of those things. And so they can be able to actually identify it as abuse. God forbid it is something that happens to them and then also come to you um, so that you can help them get the help that they need in whatever form that looks like. Thank you so much for that. Because I think a lot of parents, when they hear like, I have to talk to my two-year-old about sex, like that's weird. Like they don't know how to go about that. So I'm sure this conversation right now just cleared up a lot of questions and a lot of confusion surrounding that topic. Yeah. And even for me, I'm just trying to think of like the discussions I've ever had with my parents and the only thing they've ever said is just like be careful don't let anybody touch you but what does that mean it's so vague what kind of touch are you talking about how do I distinguish when one touch is just completely wrong and that's not right and that the stranger should not be touching me and it's so scary that you say that 85% of the time that anybody faces sexual violence or just inappropriate touches is from people that you know it could be a family member a friend or even your neighbor like it's somebody that that close to within your circle and then another statistic is like 68% like you guys you guys have to really focus on these statistics because they're they're really high 68% of people face this and they don't say anything about it how's how crazy is that and then I think it was like over what is it 98% of offenders sexual offenders don't spend a day in jail imagine your kid being the one again this never happens and god forbid your kid facing this and he or she does not know how to even come to you and tell you that they're dealing with this and because first of all this might be let's just say their uncle or their aunt that's doing this imagine how confused your child is that this is somebody that's supposed to love them this is somebody in their family and this is somebody that you they see their parents respecting but this person's touching me inappropriately but then again i don't even know if this is inappropriate what do i do like it's so sad it's, it's a rebel. So sad. Yeah, it really is to go through all this. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important, you know, to believe children and make sure they understand that they're being believed. Because I think another complication regarding why children don't disclose is 
sometimes they have love and respect for the people that are doing harm to them, right? Yeah. And and if those people are in their families, imagine carrying the weight of like, this could break apart your family. So there's often simultaneity happening. You can have love and respect for this adult in your life who has also harmed you. And then you also want to report it, right? And there's just, it's so complex. This issue is so complex. So creating a safe space for children to really understand these issues and talk about them is critical to their health and well-being. And one thing that Heart does talk about, and I think you guys really firmly stand in this, and this is a message you want to definitely spread across all communities and whatnot, is that sexual violence is all about power and control, not sexuality. And it's not about the way you dress. You could be somebody that wears a hijab, somebody that doesn't wear the hijab, somebody that dresses modestly, somebody that does not. Somebody in a certain place at a certain time or whatever. It's not about that. Mm -hmm. It's about power and control. And I want to know why you guys arrived to that and just how important this is for everybody to really like, you know, distinguish between the differences between why sexual violence is occurring. Yeah, we often say that sexual violence is about power and control, you said, and sex is the weapon that they use. They weaponize sex to basically instill power and control. And I think that we actually have a power and control wheel that was adapted from one for domestic abuse, I think it was. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that because oftentimes too, in what I've heard from like different Muslim women, and maybe something I've experienced in my own personal life is that like, oh, wearing the hijab will protect you from this. Or if a girl is wearing a skirt that's too short, it's her fault, right? Like the rape culture that exists, like blaming women or victims or survivors for the harm that they've experienced. And it's just not the case. We know that, there, like you said, there are women who wear the hijab that have been sexually assaulted. Sexual violence happens in the most religious institutions, like masjids. So oftentimes it is, I mean, it is always about power and control and never about sexuality. It's not about sexual desire, right? They're weaponizing sex. So we really have to take the focus away from like how women look or how they're presenting in the world or if they're walking down an alley at 3 a.m. in the morning that like maybe there's you know, less risk if you're walking in the daytime. But this one woman at a thrift store that I was at recently, she told me, she's like, yeah, did you hear about that woman who was sexually assaulted at this neighborhood festival at 3 p.m.? I was about to mention that at Wicker Park, it happened. It was during the day. She got taken into Mm. an alley. And this is at a festival, you guys. And if you know Chicago festivals, it's just jam-packed with people. So imagine, like, it could happen anywhere. Basically, it could happen anywhere, at any time, to anyone, regardless if there's people around or not around. That's that's the scary part. Yeah, and, you know, it's with the Me Too movement, you know, that got so much attention in the last couple years, people have been really exposed to how common this is, right? Not that, like, there aren't women who knew that already, but it's become part of this larger conversation. You know, and I think this might lead into like the Rahma piece, like because there's, it's, you know, so common that it's important to be able to even equip ourselves with tools and knowledge to be able to receive disclosures from loved ones, from fellow classmates, from the children in our life, whoever, you know, like, I don't know, a random person, because you just don't know who's going to share that experience with you. And 
there's actually research that shows that if somebody has experienced harm, like trauma, and they disclose it to somebody and that person reacts poorly by like not believing them or whatever, shaming them, that experience of disclosure can actually traumatize them more than the actual harm itself. Super important that we're also equipping ourselves with the language and skills and knowledge to be able to create safe spaces for people to come forward about this. Before we even jump into that, Aisha, I think because that's something that we have to talk about, how to help victims, because I think that's super important. If you want somebody to be open about it and share, because we need to definitely decrease these statistics. There are 68 percent people that we just said that face sexual violence, but they don't come forward. Why? Why don't they come forward? Because we're not a welcoming community, not just our community, just in general. Oh, yeah. We're not a welcoming community. And when when it comes to victims. The reason why they don't open up, I'm going to literally list reasons. One of them is blame. We shift the blame from the actual abuser and we put it on, on the victim. Well, you were dressed like this. Well, you were at this at this place at this time of the day. We just addressed that, that it does not matter where you are. It could, it could happen and it can occur anywhere else or at any place. And then... We also talked about how 85% of the time it's somebody you know. So it's a little bit of, it's confusing for the victim. How do you go against somebody that your family loves or like you said, you even love and you have respect for? And then there's fear. Fear that if you open up and you tell people about this abuser, that this abuser is going to even do more damage, Mm -hmm. more harm to you. That's scary. This abuser is still here, still around. You know what I mean? How about the legal process? Let's just say you take your abuser to court. That's that's you're, You're just basically bringing that trauma all over again you're allowing them to go through that again because you're telling them to say the story from a to z that's also traumatizing the fact that we don't talk about sexual abuse and sexual violence that we can't differentiate between what is right and what is wrong if we're not talking about sexual health education and just having even these baby step conversations how do you expect this person to come forth and tell you i'm i think i'm experiencing sexual violence when they're not even 100 percent comfortable with their bodies and and everything that goes with it i think sometimes we go ahead with the forgive and forget mentality sometimes even if your kid comes to you or whoever you tell them like just forget it it's okay just forgive them they'll never do it again it happened they were going through something no there should be no forgive and forget mentality when it comes to being harmed in that way so now i want to definitely talk about like what do we do if somebody does come up to us and says I went through this like I definitely don't want to be the reason why they're still suffering and I don't want to be the reason why I'm causing more trauma to them. Absolutely. So like you said, there are several barriers that victims and survivors face when it comes to disclosing, right? And those barriers are happening at all levels of society. So there's your own personal barriers that you have to get through, right? Like the shame and stigma and all of those things. Then there's family barriers. So like some people don't feel comfortable disclosing to their family for whatever family norms that have been set up or you haven't developed this trusting relationship with the adults in your life or whatever it might be. So then there's a family barrier, right? Then there's a community barrier. We also all exist in communities, right? And there's certain values and stigma and shame that exists around sex and sexual violence in our communities. So and then there's legal, institutional and structural, like you've mentioned. I mean, There are people who go to report to police officers and they're not believed there either. In this conversation about sexual violence, I think it's unfortunate we haven't talked about state-sanctioned violence against women and people that police officers, because they have power, can also and often do commit acts of sexual violence. So even the legal system and the institutions that are maybe set up to quote-unquote protect us 
can also cause harm and also be another barrier to disclosure. So at every level of society, victims and survivors are facing all of these barriers to disclosing. And then you, at every level, you have to retell your story. And then there's that fear that you won't be believed. That's probably more pronounced the more you tell it because society has been socialized not to believe victims and survivors of sexual violence. So yeah, when it comes to how to respond to someone who discloses that they've been a victim or survivor of sexual violence, we use um, the acronym Rahma. So Rahma is an Arabic word that means mercy or compassion. Basically, the idea is that when somebody comes to you and discloses, you just want to hold space for them. That is not the time to like shame them. It's not the time to grill them about their decision making. It's really you you want to hold space for them, support them, and eventually lead them to the help that they need in the form that they need it. So I'll just quickly go through the acronym and what each one stands for. So R stands for reflectively listen. So it's really more about just listening to that person and repeating back what they've said, not again, not a time to grill or to insert your own judgment and belief. You want to affirm and believe. So you're also not, this is not the place where you need to even know if like what happened is true or not. That's not for you to decide. So really, we know it's critical for survivors and victims to be believed. And it's less than 1% chance that somebody is being falsely accused. <laughs> so yeah. it's so, so much more likely that somebody is telling the truth than they're not. And society is the opposite, right? Like we often are quick to assume that they're not. So in that step, it's really just saying, I believe you and affirming what they're feeling and asking things like, how can I help you? How, how are you feeling? You don't have to ask details about the assault. So then H, and this is where our um, unique framework comes in, is honor cultural religion and religious context and values. So you can imagine trying to, you know, express your concerns and you're like, oh, my, I can't go to my family. They won't understand. They'll blame me for it, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have somebody maybe not from this, a similar cultural background as you who's like, well, that's not the case. Like, that's just patriarchy. And it's like, that's also not helpful in that moment. You want to honor that, like, regardless if it's great or not great or a societal ill or not, that that person, that's a concern of theirs and honoring that cultural and religious context. So, you know, it's critical, especially in Muslim communities. Um, I know, I'm sure, you know, growing up in Bridgeview, it's so small. Everybody knows each other. It's like my fear talking to an Uber driver when they're like, what's your family's name? And I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) don't cross that line with me. (laughs) Big communities could be so small. So it's even more critical that we're maintaining privacy and even not giving the details about a story and taking out the name because just the mere facts of a story can, you know, really compromise somebody's identity in storytelling, right? So you want to maintain privacy 100% and then always provide resources and information. And like I said, there are so many barriers to disclosing. Someone might not want to go to the police. Someone might not want to go to their family. It's really honored, like, honoring what they need in that moment and helping them find resources that are good for them. Because we know with sexual violence, part of the harm is taking away someone's choice. So in this process, we really are trying to give the survivor or victim their choice back and empower them again to say what's best for them. Yeah. 
That's incredible. I love that because I think, it, like we said, sec- the sexual violence starts with power and control. And we need to strip the abuser from this power and control and give it back to the person that it was taken away from, which is the victim. Absolutely. That's so, I yeah. can't stop thinking like when we're having this conversation of Trump and Weinstein and all of those victims who were placed under the microscope and they weren't believed. I mean, and these are the guys that have all the power. They have all the, the control. It's the freaking president of the country. You know what I mean? So but true. I'm very proud of every single woman who's stepped up even if they were scrutinized and tore to pieces on social media they still had that power and that need to take back their control at the end of the day and I think that that's exactly what we need to do is believe people why are we so why are we like this like why don't we believe people when they they're telling us and they're opening up about the most vulnerable things they've been through I mean, it's it's so it's so disappointing when our community is like that. It's like, oh, I'm not going to believe you because this is the guy who made my favorite movie. Of course not. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's very disappointing. It, it's it's very disappointing, but it does. It all goes back to power and control. Yeah. It really does. It really goes back to power and control because you don't. Some people don't want to be on the bad side of somebody that has all this power and control. Mm-hmm. You want to just yeah. get yourself out of the situation and not deal with it. But that is so sad that we're not helping these victims. And it's like, what do you want more from the victims? Do you want them to literally tape themselves? As this is actually occurring to them, this is a very traumatic experience. You don't. But I know feel even, like even if that yeah. was to happen, we would still find ways and reasons not to believe them. I mean, if you have more than one, it should only take one woman. But if you even have more than one woman telling the media like this person, like whatever you said, Weinstein and Trump is doing this to me, and they're still not believed, like what? There, there's a huge disconnect there. What can we do about that? But then this is where like organizations like Heart come into play, mm-hmm. where we need to start talking about this. And I think this is where it all starts is with conversations. These conversations are they don't occur that much they don't happen I mean why am I uncomfortable like even when I was talking to you on the phone Aisha like I was in public and we're talking about sexual health and this and that I'm not gonna lie I was a little bit uncomfortable and I moved to the side but why why am I uncomfortable talking about something that deals with my body something that everybody has yeah and I think that's where it starts with normalizing these conversations being able to be open and talk about these things because it's like how can we expect these survivors or these victims to come out in the open when they're just so confused in what's going on and we when they don't feel like there is a space for them to even open up about these issues it's 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 really hard and i want to mention that like for heart you guys have led over 52 workshops like that's incredible mashallah for an organization that just started with just one small event and where nadia noticed that like wow this is much needed in our community i did not know if it was that much needed you know what i mean and you guys have also presented at five national conferences so you guys are doing your thing you definitely are you're definitely making space for yourself in these other spaces basically yeah absolutely so to give you an idea just in 2018 i believe we held 81 workshops and training so that number is in a year yeah there's a huge need for that and i think that you know something that gives me hope working in this space is that people are hungry for this information and there is this desire i mean as much as we get resistance and we get resistance you know and there are communities who want to maintain these toxic systems and structures of power and violence there are people in our communities doing this work who want to learn about these topics you know and i think that yeah we we go to different like i said we go to you know whether it's schools and working with students or you know i know that some of our some of my colleagues have held like parent workshops for parents to learn about these things yeah there is definitely a huge need and i think in a lot of community spaces a desire to you know at least open up this conversation if not continue it so yeah 
How can people get more involved? Because mashallah, Aisha, for you to just take this step and like make this a career of yours, it's it, be, it has become more of a passion, but it's just something that you, you really want to help out your community. How can people start dabbling in this? Because I think we need more people in this space. Because I, I noticed there's a rise in more mental health therapists because we see that there is a need for more mental health education and everything like that. But this is also a conversation that also needs to be held side by side when it comes to mental health and just whatever. We have to talk about our bodies. But what is a way that people can maybe volunteer or just just even introduce heart to their organizations or their community events and whatnot. Absolutely. So we, if you would like to get involved specifically with Heart, you can reach out to any of us. Our emails are on the website, I believe, and you guys can post mine as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, and we can definitely see where it makes sense for you to fit in for opportunities for engagement. If you're looking to bring us into the space you're in, and that could really be any space. It doesn't have to be like a mosque or a school. It could be with you and your group of friends. We do charge fee for service, but we try to be as a accommodating as possible. So our services are accessible to all communities. And I think there's just ways that personally, you can get start these conversations in your own community. I think, you know, just this idea of beginning your own research and like your own journey, learning more about your own body, about sexual health, about sexual violence, the realities that our communities and folks outside of our communities are facing is a small step you can take to get more involved in this issue. I think the one example of the person um, working with their moss to bring pads into that the women's bathroom is an awesome example of just a small way to start creating safer spaces for women and people who um, experience menstruation. Yeah, I think there's just so many ways to get involved. And then on a larger scale, there's like campaigns and organizations and even you all like using your platform to have these conversations. Those are all ways to get involved and they're all equally important. I think that there's so many barriers to disclosure, right? And in the same sense, we have to tackle every level of society um, to really make each of those levels conducive for safer safer spaces for women and people who are any of us really like boys also experience are victims of sexual yeah. violence just so that they're safe for all of us to exist in and that happens from the personal level all the way to the legal system and and whatever way it feels good for you to plug into I think it's critical that we're all involved in this in some way shape or form such a great way to put it Aisha because honestly it does even start with you I think a lot of times when we see an organization and we see their mission we rely on that organization to solve the issue and to, mm -hmm. to break down all these barriers but there's only so much that you guys can do you still rely on your community to help you out I think it's a two-part thing it's a two-part system we can't just always rely on that one person that one leader that one organization we have to this is a community effort and everything that we're trying to tackle it's a community effort so I just want to thank you guys for the incredible work that you guys are doing for even creating an organization that of course you're going to receive so much pushback from our uh -huh. community a community that doesn't want to talk about this a community like like any other community we shy away from these conversations we sweep them under the rug this is something that we need to bring to the surface because it's happening we are not immune to any of these things that are going on across all other communities sexual violence is a rising epidemic and it's really really scary I mean when you see that over 70% of women it, it happens to them or actually 85% of people sometimes it's like yeah within your own family households and stuff like that we we really need to start addressing these issues. I want to talk about you, Aisha. Like, how are you able to absorb all of this trauma and all these stories and still like be able to still push through and do this, do the work that you do, do the incredible work that you do alongside these other amazing, you know, members that you have part of this organization? Like, where's the time where you're able to take care of yourself as well throughout this process? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think something that's unique about heart specifically is that we've really been intentional about working in self-care in the organization internally. So we have a spaciousness policy that really puts limits around how many um, times you can travel in a certain amount of time, right, to allow people to rest and recuperate. We often bring in, you know, community agreements and values, and one of them is finding depth without drowning, right? So like really being able to go deep in these issues, but not getting over-consumed by them. And I think that in other social justice spaces I've been in or other work environments I've been in, that's not the case. Sometimes we forget to really take the same care of the people in this movement with us as we try to take care of the people outside of this movement externally. So I I really want to uplift how lucky and privileged I am to be working in a social justice space that also advocates for my own well-being, really centers community care. I think that's really unique in our organization, and I feel lucky to be doing this work here. I think more broadly, because I've been also involved in social justice spaces beyond heart, I think it's really just connecting to the things that make me feel whole, you know, like sometimes I love Twitter for the fact that it's like has so much dialogue. I love learning on Twitter. It gives me access to conversations and communities I might not have access to in my day-to-day life. And I've learned so much through that. I think it can be an incredible tool to just learn about different social justice issues. And it can get really overwhelming in this political climate. Everything, there's just like, since Trump really has gotten elected and just being from a community where my family and and my people are impacted by imperialism and there's wars happening all the time overseas. If I get so consumed in that, I will drown. And there are times where I've just sat in my bed and cried. Like I remember there was this one time there was like live footage from Syria on Twitter and with the war that was happening there, the civil war. And like, I was watching the videos and I, I like, was like literally just so drained. Like I couldn't move from my bed and I don't think that's healthy for us either, you know? So sometimes it looks like not going on Twitter. Sometimes it looks like leaving my work at work and like, I love these issues. I'm so passionate about them, but sometimes I need to disconnect from them. And then just bringing myself to the things that bring me joy and, you know, pleasure. And whether that's like painting something, even though I'm not a super skilled artist, you know, being with family and loved ones and friends, I think just recentering myself being by water, I love the ocean and the lake and just doing things that really bring me back to myself and back to my center and whatever that looks like for you. And that can look so different for people. You know, sometimes I, if I'm really overwhelmed, like I'll just turn on my candles and turn on the Quran or turn on like a really soft playlist and like just unwind. And there's different tools that I've acquired to really like center my well-being because the better and more whole I am, the more I can do for the communities I aim to serve. So I think it's really important to just take care of ourselves and acknowledge that like we're also humans. And especially with empathy, um, there's this thing called compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma that they often talk about with folks who are working and hearing the stories of victims all the time. And I can imagine even being on a podcast where you're talking to people with like real difficult stories, you're absorbing that and like what what that does to us too. And I think that goes for the same with the videos online, like when we're watching violence happen um, to the communities we love and care about, it can really impact you too. So just like taking, you know, whatever steps are necessary for you to like find 
that centering and then sometimes healing sometimes it requires healing i think like going back to venting and vibing um even being in workplaces sometimes can be really traumatizing right like mm-hmm. so we my the co-founder actually is a former colleague of mine and just us sitting there talking to each other and someone being like Aisha I believe you or like oh yeah I've gone through that too and just giving me a space to like vent was so healing so i think it's really just about finding what works for you in terms of like healing and recentering yourself that I think that's so, so important. Yeah, Taking care so of yourself important. so you can take care of others. Yeah. We often forget that we need to unplug ourselves mm-hmm. because like, dude, we'll, we'll charge our phone all day long. Oh my God. As soon as we see it at 20%, we die and we rush to, to charge it. But like, you know, yourself, you know, when you're burning out, like Zena and I just recently went through this. Like we, ha- and I swear to God, that break in January was the best break I've ever taken in my life. Did I go on vacation? No, I didn't. But did we <laughs> take a break from working? It was the best feeling ever. And there is such a thing. I'm so glad you brought it up the vicarious trauma where you're listening to other people's traumatic stories and what they're going through and it's so hard to see that these women have faced such struggles and such hardships you can't help but even just take that home with you I I often do that like I'll especially when you're editing you have to re-listen to these stories and when we do release and you listen to it again it's it's a lot to absorb it's a lot to absorb it doesn't end once we hit the stop recording button no. it, it still follows us definitely for you, Aisha. that's why we have to voluntarily take these breaks and put like a stop button like literally mm-hmm. press the stop button and be like i'm at home right now this is my sanctuary i need to really just relax and bring like just focus on myself and what are my needs because you cannot pour from an empty cup like these cliche sayings exist for a reason like you truly can't like Aisha, how are you going to help your community if you haven't helped yourself like how can you do that like especially like even that whole scenario when you're on a plane and you're with somebody you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on the person next to you. Yeah, you want to save the whole world, but you're not going to be a, a benefit to anybody if you're just an empty soul just walking around being mm-hmm. burnt out. So I just want to thank you for all the work that you do, Aisha, specifically for all the work that Heart does. And I yeah. really hope this organization sticks around for the longest time and just more people are more well acquainted with it. And I really hope that we can once attend their workshops because I think this Inshallah, is great yeah. that you guys are doing this. And you guys are more of a virtual organization too and i think that's also awesome for you because you guys don't have well you do you did say you guys do have a small office space but what what's so amazing about heart is that they really truly do understand the people that work with them and they allow you to work remotely and i think that is beneficial to be able to do that it's making these movement spaces more accessible for diverse people who want to be a part of them right so in our group we have mothers we have people who have families so like being able to work from home is can be really important we had one of my colleagues just had a baby so being you know being able to do this work remotely might be important for her um having flexible work hours one of my other colleagues picks up her kids at a certain time of day being able to leave her work and then come back to it it allows folks who have like a variety of life experiences and needs to still be able to access these movement spaces and make them like mother friendly, family friendly, um, and whatever, even if you're suffering from mental health issues and just need to start your work later that day, having that flexibility to do that, especially in this like social justice spaces can be so huge to like sustaining you in this movement. And I think that something else you were talking about too, and even I think about with venting and vibing is just like creating community spaces where we're taking care of each other. Cause there's one part of it, which is self care. And there's one part of it, which is community care. And sometimes that looks like you seeing your friend having a bad day and just like taking that extra step to be like, Hey, is everything okay? Or like talking with that person. And I think even practicing that more with each other, showing each other compassion and holding space for us to all be human 
allows us to then, again, take care of ourselves and then take care of our community. And it's this like reciprocal relationship. Yeah, it's a nice cycle to have. Like that's, that's a one great cycle point. Yeah. I want my job to be able to provide that for me. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, like some, you're so right, Aisha, because like if I've had a rough night the night before and I have to go to work the next day, I do skip the early train and I go on the later train because I don't know, I just need a little bit more time to just get ready freshen and, really up and yeah, yeah. freshen up and really think about it. Because it's like, it, it makes a difference. Even just catching a late train sometimes really makes a difference. But I want you to also share with us like the website for heart because i really want people to because i mean heart really provides a lot of resources i went on the site and it's amazing like you guys do have a lot of different resources a lot of great videos and they're very nice and short you know what i mean if you're on the go you can listen to a five minute video about birth control or whatever it may be so basically just yeah let us know what site to jump on where can we find heart on instagram where can we find you on instagram as well as venting and vibing and do you have anything planned in the near future for venting and vibing because i would love to attend that if you guys are planning something In general, the sessions really gather women of color to talk about the challenges they're facing in the workplace. So usually we'll have a theme that every session is around, like one was on resilience and like the pros and cons of women of color, like being resilient and expected to be resilient and what that looks like in our communities. Another one was when we had sexual assault awareness month just on sexual harassment and workplaces, things like that. So the themes are varying. It's really exciting this time. We are working with um, one of our community members who is also an artist. Her name is Jackie. And she's working with us to do some art justice work, which will be really cool. So we're be creating art through, like have a small art workshop in this one and then creating a collective art piece, but all Um, really centered around the healing of the women in that space. So they're really fun. I'm really proud to say like the, the women that come are just, you know, diverse in terms of the careers that they're in, the races and ethnicities that they identify with, the religions and faiths that they subscribe to or don't subscribe to. It's just been such a diverse space. So it also allows us to really look at issues of like, what it looks like to heal even tensions between communities of color. Because I think oftentimes when we're talking about inclusion and equity in workplaces, it's like there's the white people and then the people of color. But like sometimes other people of color, particularly non-black people of color, are also committing harm and are, you know, can, can and often are racist, right? So we are looking to have more of those discussions this year too, and really use the space that has been thankfully pretty diverse to take advantage of that and start having those uncomfortable conversations. Which is so important, yeah. It is important. I think it's important. And I just, I think it's really important when you do things face-to-face as well. It just, it's a different connection when you really get to see these women in person. Mm -hmm. I love that you're doing this. And I love that there's always like a different topic to tackle in these venting and vibing sessions. And I love what it's called, venting and vibing, because it's exactly what you're doing when you're venting with your friend. You're also enjoying your time with your friends. And I think it's so important to step outside your comfort zone and meet other women. Like, I think as adults, it's hard for us sometimes to make friends as we're older. But if you're interested in something and you see and you go to these events, you see other people that are interested in the same thing as you. And then you start developing these relationships. And that's the whole point of a community. And just, you know what I mean? Just connecting with one another. So I really want to thank you, Aisha. We're going to include everything from the links to the site to the Instagram and everything for heart for heart it's heart to grow on Instagram what's your specific um handle on Instagram your personal yeah so heart's website is heartwomenandgirls.org we've officially dropped the name like the women and girls from our name but it's still in our website although we just go by heart because we acknowledge that like it's not just women and girls who need to be involved in this work and then our Instagram is at heart to grow 
And then my Instagram is at Ayush, A-Y-O-O-S-H. And then my last name is Mail without the L. So I-S-M-A-I. Nice. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely link include yeah. all this because I think it's super important. I think this is just a great way when you want to be productive on social media is to find accounts and follow accounts like such as yours and mm-hmm. hard to grow and venting and vibing. I think that's just the best way to put it and just to be more involved. I think that's what we need to do. Just again, step out of our comfort zone and be more involved. But I really want to thank you, Aisha. And I really want to thank hard to grow for all the work that you guys have done for our community. And I'm honestly so excited to see what future events and workshops that you guys have planned for us. And let's just start these conversations let's normalize these conversations share these episodes talk talk more about this because there's a lot of young girls out there and even a lot of young boys are a little confused about their bodies even and what older people through. who are still confused Girl, i'm yeah. not i i'm ashamed <laughs> to say i'm 30 years old and there's a lot of things i don't know i mean you're a part of those statistics like the yeah. with the birth control and stis and all i'm like no, i don't no, know no, any no. of this i'm like thank god they didn't it's embarrassing me. being 27 and not knowing things that you should have known when you were like 15 but it's not our fault let's <laughs> yeah, take yeah, away really the isn't. blame yeah, yeah. from us and realize like it, but at, at the same time let's be the ones that are productive to start these conversations so the next generation of women and or yeah, girls absolutely. and boys are you know more well equipped before they become a woman and a man, <laughs> you know what i mean thank you aisha you're so amazing talk to you guys thank you, you. Well, I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was very informative to say at the very least. I can't thank Aisha enough for coming on, for just teaching us so much, for also just shedding so much light on heart. It's such an incredible organization that's right, like, that's based right here in Chicago. Like I'm looking at their website right now and they focus on so many different things. They talk about, like we said, domestic violence and sexual violence. And they also talk about like mental well-being. And I think that's important. If you are a victim of domestic or violence, assault it's good to also focus on your mental well-being at that moment too and they have so many services the website is hearttogrow.org if you are someone who just wants to learn more about your body or someone who is a victim of this definitely check out their website they have so much stuff i think they also have maybe me again i i definitely want to double check the website but i thought they had even articles for parents on how to talk to the they kids do, about yes, certain things they do, they do yeah. awesome that because i think that's it's a very difficult conversation you guys and i said it even in the episode from both parties it's it's difficult for the child to receive this information from their parents because it's, it's an it's awkward, awkward conversation yeah. but it does need to be had again Zane and I you know we didn't have really these conversations with our parents no and something that I found really interesting was when she said that it's never too early to start this conversation yeah your lingo and the words that you use yes. will be different but you should start young and let them know hey that's a place people shouldn't see or shouldn't you know what i mean you have to get them like warm it up warm them up to the idea kind of you have to get them like used to the idea of like this is your body and you are in control of it and not anyone can come and just take advantage of it basically and and it's really important to like you said start them young but again you don't have to have the birds and the bees talk with your four-year-old like that's just gonna fly over their head that's not something you obviously want to introduce to them maybe right away but you know Aisha gave an example of how she had a discussion with her nephew when it comes to just does he want to hug does he want to kiss does he want to high five certain things like that you guys and I know and I said even in the episode you might think it's you know creating barriers but 
not to scare anybody, we do live in a scary world. It's kind of, you know, you hear so many stories and stuff like that. And there's a lot of, again, trigger warning, sex trafficking going on, child sex trafficking and whatnot. So it's just really, really good to just equip our children with as much information as possible, but not just our children, even us, us grown adults, Zaina, that maybe we never, yeah, we didn't receive this information when we were younger. Yeah, like, I, you know, getting married at 23, even now at 27, there's so much I don't even know about my own body. And that's kind of embarrassing. Like, but I feel like I'm not alone on that boat. And I'm so glad that we are, we're going back to focusing on the woman's body and empowering them through the knowledge they need to kind of move forward in life. And like we said in the introduction, like we kind of touched upon these topics. And I feel like each one of these topics that we had with Aisha, which she was just so incredible with the wealth of knowledge that she provided and the examples and everything like that. I can't thank her enough. I feel like each one of these topics could also be a standalone conversation that we can have. Oh, like an hour long podcast episode episode for sure yeah so like don't fret don't think like oh that's it we talked about sexual education and then that's it no i I, there's just so much more you guys there really is whenever we even have a conversation with any of our guests there's always just so many follow-up conversations that need to be had again hence why we're gonna do two episodes a month so we can build upon these conversations and even provide more resources and everything like that because i feel like we definitely need to to give attention to these topics especially with something so, so important as sexual health education but also sexual violence and the conversation of the birds and the bees. I know in our DMs, there's so many women that have reached out to us and they want us to talk about intimacy. This is something that Zane and I, yeah, we want to talk about. But at the same time, we don't want to just just jump on a conversation. We have to do research. We have to yeah. find someone who's, you know, well um, knowledgeable exactly mm-hmm. and and we want to make sure that we're providing you guys with the best knowledge and resources that we can find yeah because girl i need to learn more about my body like it's <laughs> isn't living... it so weird like yeah i've had my body for 27 years and i still don't know it 31 like, it's so it's like, weird yeah and i'm not gonna lie now i feel more comfortable going to the doctor like i actually feel more comfortable going to the doctor's office getting you know a mammogram or a pap smear or anything just checked honestly i think we just like because you doctors, know yeah. you know what he's saying or you know what she's saying you understand it before it's kind of like oh yeah okay like sure and you know if you're i i would feel uncomfortable with the male doctor but that's just me you guys so if you have a male doctor it's totally okay yeah. but again if you are nervous about these things get a female doctor yeah yeah and my doctor is a hierarchy so yes that does help but i learned it doesn't have to be somebody from the same background as yours because no. again when it comes back to my therapy sessions she's a white woman and i just love her i love her because it's just she really gives me that safe space to talk so I think this was the year for me to finally take care of my well-being. And Mentally and physically. never done that. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope these conversations can also push and motivate you guys to do the same. Again, we're all in this together, you guys. So Zane and I are not people that are like, oh, we got our lives figured out. It's really not. We're looking at each other like we are no. near figuring out our lives. And that's totally okay. So let's just do it together. We got this. Inshallah khair. Inshallah khair for the rest of the year. There's only a couple months left. It's which crazy. Is Mind-blowing. I hope there's like there's a, there's an actual like reset button. As soon as like 2021 comes so, and you hit man. reset. You know what I mean? We need it. We definitely need it. But we love you guys. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And we'll catch you guys next week. Bye.